For the Meat Poultry Podcast, I'm Ryan McCarthy, Digital Media Associate Editor. Interested parties following the meat and poultry industry know that it's been a volatile market due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but also some other factors. So for this week, we wanted to get a perspective from Rabobank animal protein analyst, Dustin A. Heron, around what portions interested parties should look at going forward in 2021. Dustin first touches on what consumers are starting to do with the latest stimulus money and how it could affect the meat market for food service and retail. We also dive into what export markets and the supply chain are starting to look like. Next, we discuss China's emergence as a major exporter, along with how the U.S. is balancing beef and pork exports to certain countries around the world. We cover a lot of ground in the meat industry and its prospects in 2021, so we hope you enjoy this conversation with Dustin A. Heron. All right, uh, Dustin... Thanks for joining us today. I'm really interested to talk about your role as an animal protein analyst. And what I wanted to start with is from your perspective as someone that works in the industry, how does this period compare to a year ago or even like 10 years ago in the industry? I think what makes today so unique is just how many moving pieces are at play within the industry with all at the same time. So whether that's COVID, high feed costs, and then of course, China, both from an African swine fever perspective and a geopolitical trade relations perspective, there's just a lot of things going on all at once that are impacting the market. And do you think in the past when you you looked at this or historically when you've researched it in the past, was it not something that factored in at least into American protein lands when we've always been always very sustainable by ourselves. I think, you know, I think those, those impacts have always been there, but they haven't been as dramatic or as volatile as they have been within the last several years. And take, take China, for example, the, dramatic shifts in global protein flows to help alleviate their shortfalls and pork production from ASF to the back and forth in, in trade relations. And then throw on top of that, uh, what we've seen from a consumer perspective related to COVID here in the last year where we have complete disruption of distribution channels, shutdowns of food service, shifts to retail, and then throw in stimulus packages where we have consumer incomes fluctuating uh, quite a lot based on, on direct federal stimulus, and then their ability to spend and do other things such as travel uh, and you know, things that we would would have spent money on on a normal basis, some of that being shifted to, to food consumption. And then we have the feed cost dynamic where this it, it's it's partially supply driven. Uh, I mean that we do have drought 
conditions throughout much of, of the U.S., but it's also very much demand-driven with China trying to, to rebuild their swine herd and needing feed inputs from abroad, so pulling meal and corn from both the U.S. and South America and both the U.S. and South America being impacted by La Nina. Again, it's just, it's really unique that we have such volatility in, in all of these different segments all at the same time. And it makes it, you know, admittedly, it does make it challenging and, and exciting trying to, to keep a handle on the market and what's going on. For sure. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy year in more ways than one, I think, for for all of us that have been watching the industry. I, I wanted to to tackle one of the things that you mentioned about how you're trying to gauge consumer demand and how, you know, in America we're reopening the economy. What what have you seen that how that's gonna affect from your side when food service and retail are kind of moving back to similar ways of uh, pre-COVID in certain areas of America right now? So when I, when I think about demand, I really try to think about it more from a, a willingness to pay or a, a price that consumers are willing to pay for a given quantity of product. So not necessarily quantity consumed, but, but how much are, are we willing to pay for a certain quantity? So really trying to, to keep a handle on, on prices in relation to the quantities available. So and in this case, you know, for me specifically, often looking at, you know, the quantity of beef available, both in the in the US and then the quantity of beef that we're, we're exporting. And when it comes to factors with consumers that you know, some of our analysis has really identified being factors that that influence their demand, Income is one, uh, you know, plays a, a major factor. And from some of the research we've done, the, the stimulus packages have had a dramatic effect on consumer demand for animal protein, their willingness to spend, willingness to pay for that product. What goes hand in hand with that is spending allocation. So, if I'm not spending as much money on fuel, I'm not spending as much funny money on entertainment or vacation, I've got a little more money to spend on food and I don't have a, necessarily a, a lot else to do. Uh, and I've got more time at home to cook. You know, I do wanna be clear that not all consumers have had extra money to spend. It's, it's been a very wide distribution of impacts, but for a lot of people, they've had stimulus on top of their normal incomes. And then, you know, another thing just to, that we're really watching closely right now is the opening of food service as we're starting to, to come back out of some of the, the more strict COVID restrictions there's starting to be what looks like a little bit of a, a battle between retail and food service, food service opening up, trying to 
fill its its distribution channels and then retail not really wanting to give up the market share that they gained in 2020 and if we use beef wholesale prices as an example we've seen cut out you know add 30 40 dollars a 100 weight in the last couple of weeks yeah yeah I, I did want to talk about the cattle market and you know we when we were talking about getting on the podcast before of the backlog that's still there from last year can you uh, take us through a little bit of what it's going to look like this summer when that being cleared out and what producers are going to try to accomplish during that time? Yeah, so the backlog that, that captured headlines, and I think what a lot of people think of when we think of the backlog was the initial backlog of cattle, of market-ready fed cattle that was started in April and May of 2020 when we had plant shutdowns and, and slowdowns. But if we think about the, the beef supply chain, if we're not moving fat cattle out of feed yards, we also can't place feeder cattle in those feed yards to replace them. So we ended up creating a backlog of, of feeder cattle as well. And we shifted a lot of placements that would have happened in the second quarter of 2020 into the third and, and even some of the fourth quarter of 2020. And so what we're working through right now with a lot of fed cattle supplies ready to go are those placements from the second half of 2020 you know after they've had their days on feed now that kind of second wave if you will is what we've been working through over the last couple of months at the same time even though Packers are, are up and running again and have been uh, for nine or 10 months now, they're still challenged operationally compared to, to what they were pre-pandemic. Still have COVID protocols in place. Their operating costs are still higher. So we don't necessarily have the same ability to get cattle through plants as we did pre-COVID. And while that will start to be relieved here over the next few months as we get cattle supplies, you know, start to come back down, you know, keep in mind the total cattle numbers in the U.S. peaked in 2019, but we haven't fully realized that in the fed cattle space just yet, one, because of the delays in in cattle feeding and then just the general supply chain, but because of that backlog in 2020, we're still have elevated cattle, fed cattle supplies. So as we get into the summer, we should start to, to see those supplies come down, which in turn should increase cattle prices relative to cutout values. But a, a point I want to make here is that even, even if we start getting these cattle supplies under control, you know, it's back closer to 2019 levels, plants are still operating at higher costs. And you know, just the, the function of the way the supply chain works, they're going to attempt to pass on some of those costs to the cattle feeder. So we may not get quite to the same margin 
uh, same leverage levels uh, as we were in, in 2019 from a, a cattle feeding perspective. We will be right back after this short break. In the April edition of Meat Poultry Magazine, look for our cover story with Butterball's Jay Jandron on the company's commitment to putting turkey at the center of more plates. Next, Sauslin Publishing, publisher of Meat Poultry, has started a series of articles to celebrate the company's 100 years of providing food industry professionals with timely news and commentary. Our first story for Meat Poultry takes a look back at some of the names and companies that were prominent in starting the modern meat industry. There's all that and more in the latest edition of the magazine. Sure. Yeah, and another big part of uh, all this is how much the feed costs are going to change. And we've been looking at that quite a bit at the beginning of this year. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how that's going to be something to watch as we try to negotiate the market throughout the rest of this year too? So I think elevated feed costs will impact the beef industry in different ways, depending on the sector. So if we start off with the cattle feeding sector, obviously that raises costs and challenges profitability. One way cattle feeders can deal with that is by, again, the way the supply chain works, trying to pass on some of those costs to the, the next guy in line. And that next guy in line, in this case, is the, the stalker backgrounder, the cow-calf guy who's selling feeder cattle. So paying less for feeder cattle. Um, another way that these costs can be managed at the feed yard is by reducing days on feed. Now, kind of the, the conventional wisdom attached to that is that out weights, carcass weights will go down because cattle feeders decrease days on feed. I'm not uh, fully convinced that we're going to see that this year. One, because as I said, we've got a lot of fed cattle to get processed here at the current time. And the more supplies you have in those situations, typically the longer you wait, end up having to, to wait to get those cattle marketed and, and weights tend to go up. Another thing I just, as I dig through past data, it's tough to really nail down that higher corn prices put a lot of downward pressure on carcass weights, at least over the last 10 to 15 years. And I think there's a few dynamics to that. One, another way to decrease stays on feed is, is by placing heavier weight cattle. And the heavier cattle are going into a feed yard, typically the heavier those cattle are going out. There's also the ability to really hone in on feeding efficiency, managing, you know, growth promoting technologies to, to your advantage. And another factor I think just comes in the way that we market cattle today. A large share of cattle are marketed on a, a formula or a grid where there's strong incentive to, to really hit those quality grades. And one of the best ways to hit those quality grades is to get cattle to you know, heavier, heavier weight, uh, make sure they're at the right condition 
uh, and ready to go from that perspective. So it'll be interesting to see if it actually does impact carcass weights and, and beef production through the year. From a longer term perspective, it's the, you know, the cow herd and cattle numbers that I think we need to keep in mind, even though they might not be quite as vulnerable to the high corn prices, typically those corn prices, high corn prices are accompanied by drought and tougher forage conditions. So there's definitely some, some risk of, of liquidation in the cow herd throughout 2021. I do think it's worth noting that while the real extreme drought conditions right now are, are, are mostly, you can kind of draw a line down the middle of the US and then go west. A lot of the cow herd is actually east of that line. So while there's certainly areas of the country that are feeling, feeling the pain right now from a drought perspective, I don't, I do think there's definitely liquidation risk. I don't see our liquidation being nearly as deep as what it was 10 years ago when we were going through drought, in part because some of the heavy cow population density areas aren't as in tough a situation, at least at the moment. Yeah, definitely. That Those are some uh, interesting perspectives on what we're all trying to look at and focus on throughout the industry right now. And uh, just like you said at the beginning, there's so many different factors on, on what's going on. Uh, the next thing Dustin, I wanted to touch on was uh, the exports in general standpoints. I know we touched on China a little bit, but is first we'll, we'll talk about China and, and what they're kind of looking at for red meat. But also I wanna just be curious on our other major red meat exporters and what you're kind of seeing um, from that standpoint as well of, is that gonna to continue to grow now throughout this year that we're getting better or getting closer to what we were before COVID even though it's a much different at the same time too. So to touch on China first, you know, the big question mark is ASF or African swine fever and there's been a lot of talk that over the winter, they had a tough time with, with disease and ended up having to liquidate and cull a lot of, a lot of hogs again. In some areas, we've, we've heard reports that the hog numbers are down 20 to 30%. Um, versus what they were going into the winter. So I don't think they're through the woods quite yet uh, in terms of ASF. So that's going to support animal protein exports to China, at least for a while. You know, eventually they'll start to get production closer to where it was pre-ASF. Pre and as that time comes, there's going to have to be a a redistribution of a lot of these, you know, animal protein exports that are going to China, they're going to have to be either consumed in their domestic markets or find other export markets. From a, a U.S. beef perspective, I think there is a, a lot less risk 
uh, from an ASF recovery in China. A major part of that is that grain-fed, high-marbling U.S. beef is not necessarily a, a great substitute for pork. There, it tends to be a, a bit of a separate market. And based on our analysts in China, there seems to be a really a growing demand from that, that Chinese middle class that has some income to spend, that's looking for higher quality proteins. There, there seems to be a, a real demand for, for US grain-fed beef. And we expect that to continue even after ASF gets under control. And just to put some of this in perspective, right now, through the first two months of 2021, so we have January and February data, there's a, a bit of a, a lag in, in getting the data, but China's on pace to be a top five beef export market uh, in 2021, whereas we weren't even in the market until 2017. So they've really responded in, in the last six to nine months and, and taking a lot of US product. If we kind of broaden that scope out to other major export markets, thinking specifically of, of Japan, South Korea, Canada, Mexico, for Japan and South Korea, they've exports there have held up really quite well throughout the pandemic. They had a bit better control on the pandemic throughout 2020. So they were still, still operating, still demanding US product. It's been a bit more volatile, particularly regarding Mexico, but that seems to be coming back around as a, a major export market for both US beef and US pork. And then, you know, Canada is still a major market as well. One thing I, I think is worth noting just for perspective, our current outlook is that we could see US beef exports up seven or 8% in 2021 versus 2020. But in part, that's because in the second quarter of 2020, beef exports were down almost 25%. That's simply a time when we were not producing enough product to export. That's when we had plants shut down and slowed down and, and we had those types of challenges. And with, and we've talked about African swine fever a lot on the podcast and and in our coverage. And is is trying to figure out the pork market just too hard right now with China going in so many different directions of trying to build theirs up right now and where we could export pork right now. It's just it seems like that that market is not the same as the beef one at all. Right, and that's and that's because the world pork market has been completely centered on China and ASF for the last two to three years. And, you know, for the time being, that's not going away, but in the next year or two, that's definitely a risk of where, where does all that product go that was going to China? 
and do producers across a lot of different continents really do they maintain margins profit margins as as we end up having more global supply of, of pork as china comes back online and and really just the, the challenge with china is understanding the data and getting a an accurate view on what's really going on on the ground and what those what that recovery truly looks like you know for instance there's been reports that china's first quarter production was the highest it's been since the beginning of asf but at the same time march initial numbers on china's march imports of pork were record large as well and i think in some ways that can go hand in hand as we saw early in asf if you have a liquidation of a lot of hogs initially that's going to drive up production but then later on that's going to bring it back down so it's really just trying to gauge where they're at in that recovery cycle sure you know dustin the the last thing i wanted to touch on before you went into is more of just an interest in your job itself um what do you enjoy about this job of being an animal protein analyst um and, and how you kind of fit into everything that you're looking at in the meat industry uh for rabobank so at the you know the the formal level my job would be to keep the bank and the bank's clients informed on on what's going on in the animal protein industry and beef specifically for me but you know at the end of the day i get paid to learn and then communicate those learnings to stakeholders and you know there's a lot of fun in that for me as someone with a kind of a, a curious intellectual personality to begin with it's it's nice to to be able to do that do that sort of intellectual exploring and digging through through data and tracking you know current events and trade and politics and, and trying to distill that down into what it means for the business of, of our clients, the business of the bank, and then kind of develop some forward-looking strategic perspectives on the industry as well. Sounds good. Well, Dustin, we really appreciate your insight on our podcast today and uh, look forward to hearing for you. Look forward to hearing from you in the future. Take care. Absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. Make sure to check out the latest stories from the monthly print edition and online at meatpoultry.com. Also follow us on social media at Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, all by searching at Meat Poultry. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us. All right, that's it for this time, folks. Thanks for listening and have a great day.